Welcome to the Route 42 podcast. I'm Pastor Chris Cahill, and I'm pastor of Christ the King Lutheran Church. We're located on U.S. Route 42 north of Lodi, Ohio. The Route 42 podcast is the place to hear recordings of recent sermons at Christ the King and sometimes special conversations with our members and friends. As we begin the new year, many people comfort themselves with the possibility that this new year can't possibly be worse than this past year. Things have got to be better. But who really knows? In today's sermon, we'll instead think about the kind of comfort only God can and does give us that is able to carry us through whatever the year might bring. Let's listen. In the church year calendar, the sixth day of January is the day that we call Epiphany, which is the day that the wise men came to visit the baby Jesus and give him their gifts. Epiphany is a Greek word that I've often said means like unwrapping, like when you unwrap a Christmas present that's got several layers, you take the wrapping off, you open the box, you take the bubble wrap off, and so forth. And in the Epiphany season, each week we unwrap a little bit more about who Jesus was and what he came to do. That's January 6th, which of course was yesterday. The first Sunday after the Epiphany, which is today, obviously, the Gospel lesson is about the baptism of Jesus. So today we have two Gospel lessons, actually. The first is the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's the first gospel reading. The second gospel reading is in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. About 30 years later, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Israel went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is God's word for us this morning. Grace and mercy and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit as always. In this new year, too. Amen. We have spent the week probably saying Happy New Year to various folks, just in the optimistic chance that this year will actually be better than last year was. You know, as the year goes on, it's easy to rack up all the things that were wrong with the year. I have this notion that this year isn't going to really be any better, but I'm not going to go through the whole list because I don't want to dwell on that. What I do want to say is, you know, there's this, been this little plaque. It's been up over there on the baptismal font that's here today. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Right? That's from one of the Christmas carols we like to hear or sing. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. There's no doubt about it that this world is a weary place. It's a tiring place. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, for one, I'm just tired of all sorts of stuff. But my hope is not in saying, I hope that we're going to have these better things this year. I think that what we need to be able to do in this new year is not look for a better economy or better politics or better whatever it might be, but to look to Jesus to be comforted by God the Father and His Word and His love and His kindness to us all the time. That's the thrill of hope that really will help us in our weariness, and our world weariness. I mean, even though, yes, right now we're optimistic, but already things have gone to pieces in this world, and you know that. So I'm not going to dwell on that. I want to think about the comfort that we have from God the Father. For the last month, in our uh, updates and on our website, I've had this featured blog post from our friends at Red Letter Challenge about discovering what a word for 2024 might be. Thinking about and praying about and listening to hymns and carols and reading God's word and saying, what could be a guiding word for us to hang on to in this new year and to guide our lives? And pretty quickly on, I decided that the one I'm going to hang on to, I don't know what you may have done, but the one I'm going to hang on to is the word comfort. For the three weeks in Advent, three Sundays in Advent, we heard from Isaiah's book, Isaiah's Gospel, I say, we've heard passages that said, comfort, Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak comfortably, speak words of comfort to my people. And uh, two other passages, just the word comfort just kept coming over and over. Receiving the comfort and being comforted by God. Now, I know that that's got to be something I've got to be careful with, okay, because I realize that for some people, and I hope it's not you, for some people the word comfort means automatically, oh, that means I can put my big fluffy socks on and my jammy pants and cover myself in a blanket with a, a hot chocolate in my hand, and that's comfort. And that's not what I'm talking about. I know so for some people, and maybe for you it works this way too. When you say comfort, 
you automatically want to add that to food, right? Comfort, food, hot chocolate, mashed potatoes and gravy, biscuits and gravy, whatever your comfort food might be, big piece of chocolate cake, a whole tub of Haagen-Dazs, whatever it might be is comfort food. But that's not what I'm talking about either because those things last only as long as you can digest them or maybe only until the next day when other things have to happen. But the comfort that God gives us is different. It is there for us every day, again and again, relieving us of some of the anxiety of this world and replacing it with knowing what God is doing for us. So I was thinking about those verses and then my wife and I were reading a devotion in Portals of Prayer a week ago or so. This verse was there from Psalm 40. The psalmist says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. So I thought about that, and I thought, this is what I'm supposed to be doing here, right? I'm supposed to be proclaiming God's comfort to you. And what? where does that comfort come from? And there's four things in there that talk about it. We get comfort from God that comes from his righteousness, his faithfulness, his salvation, and his love. And that's why God is so comforting to us, even in the darkest times of our lives. We get comfort from his righteousness, his faithfulness, his salvation, and his love. Let me just say this about these four things real briefly. God's righteousness, people often think that that means God is holy and he does everything right and perfect and all that other stuff. And I think that's okay, but I like a definition better that I heard many years ago when I was in college. I had a professor who was teaching theology, and he had spent some time in Israel. He had a car that he had to take to the shop. So he took the car to the shop. He told the mechanic what was wrong. And the mechanic fixed the car, and the, and the presser said afterwards, he said, so how does it look? How does it run? The guy says, get in and start it. Starts the car, and the mechanic looks at it and goes, tzaddik. And the professor just blinked, and he said, did you just say tzaddik? And the mechanic said, yeah. He said, you know, I'm a professor of theology, and for me, that Hebrew word means righteous. And it's a word we use for God. And the mechanic is like, yeah. So, tzaddik. Why? It's Sadiq because everything is humming together the way it ought to be and nothing is out of balance or out of whack in the car now. It's all good. And God's righteousness is like that. It's not just God does everything right, but it's if you think about how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work together in the Trinity, everything hums along. Everything is smooth. Everything is in the proper relationship. Everything works. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all of one mind, one will. There's no friction between them. They just are clicking along the way they're supposed to. And it's that righteousness that God gives to us in terms of our forgiveness of sins that he has given us. He saves us through Jesus, the work that Jesus did, and that puts us in a relationship with God that enables us to be clicking along and in harmony with him. Jesus talked about him being of one will with the Father, and he was there to make his children, you and me, to be one with him too. So that's righteousness. That's a comfort that we have from God, that no matter what happens to us in this life, we're okay with God. 
and he is with us. And there's no friction or disharmony. Nothing is broken. There's no check engine light on in our relationship with God as far as God is concerned. That's righteousness. The second thing is faithfulness. And it has to do with God keeping his promises. God keeps every promise that he makes. God keeps every promise that he makes. He doesn't make empty promises. He doesn't make stupid promises. He doesn't make promises like politicians do who say, I promise this will happen, and then when it comes right down to it, there's so much opposition it doesn't happen, or they forget to count on this or whatever. God doesn't deal with that. Whatever promises he makes, he keeps. And he's kept promises from the very beginning of time to give you and me daily and richly everything that we need. You've heard this before, to support this body and life. When you were conceived and born, he promised to give you that oxygen and that ability for your body to just keep breathing without you being conscious of it. It's that kind of thing, that kind of promise that he keeps. But he also keeps the promises that says, Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins and give you the promise of eternal life, and you will have eternal life. God is that faithful to his promises. And then there's salvation. Salvation really is a word that's related to rescue. And so you have to think about somebody who falls off a boat and is splashing around in the ocean and they're, you know, they're about to be lost. They're crying out, help me, help me, help me. Salvation is two parts. Salvation is pulling a person out of the water and giving them life again. But it also, before that happens, the person who rescues them has to be able to hear their cries for help. So if you're on a cruise ship or something and you fall, you hope that the people who are going to rescue you aren't deep in the belly of the cruise ship playing backgammon or something with a bunch of other people. And You hope that they're going to be in a position to hear you. Or if a, the call goes out over the loudspeaker, help, help, man, overboard. You hope that the person who can actually help is not sound asleep in their bed. God is like the person who is always listening. He is a God who is always hearing. He is a God who never sleeps, the Bible says. And so he has already answered our prayers, our cries for help, not only in terms of saving us from sin, but whenever we cry to him in prayer, whenever we cry to him in pain, in agony, in sorrow, in worry, doubt, anxiety, he is already listening. His ears are open, and he's ready to jump and grab us and pull us out of our distress and give us the promise of eternal life once again. And the fourth reason that we can find comfort in God is that love. God's love is a real specific kind of love. It's not the kind of love that you have in a marriage. It's not the kind of love that you have for your puppy. It's not the kind of love that uh, you know a little kid has for stuffed animal Christmas present or whatever, that kind of stuff. It's not the kind of love that some of us probably have for things like baseball or football or whatever, or even cars. God's love for us is based on the fact that he has promised that you and I are his children. God loves you because he has made you his children. The Bible says God loved the whole world so that he gave his only begotten son. That's one kind of love, but the love of God is a love that is a promised love for you. God said to you when you were in the waters of baptism, I promise that I will love you. I promise that I will always love you. There is nothing that will prevent me 
from keeping that promise. Remember I said, God makes promises that he keeps. And God promised to every single one of you that his love for you will be constant. It will never end, no matter what happens in this life. And as you've heard me say, and you know it yourselves too, some of you, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because as far as God is concerned, love is not just a feeling that fades away or a temporary thing. Love is a promise that he makes. I promise that I will always love you, says God, to each and every one of you who are his children, to all of us. That's where the comfort from God will come from in this new year. Now, I think that's a, quite a bit to put into one day, so I'm just going to say, you're going to hear me say a lot of these things again and again over the course of this year, I think, because I think it's going to be a really tough year in some respects. But in other respects, there are some things that we need to do. Let me tell you the plan, at least for the next couple of months. We're going to talk about the comfort of God a lot. We're going to talk about these things, and hopefully we'll be able to balance out the distresses of the year that I anticipate you're going to hear on the news, and at least make them even better than the distresses of the year with the comfort of God. But let me tell you about the next couple of months. So for the next five weeks, um, we're going to review the forgiveness challenge. Remember when we did the forgiveness challenge a couple of years ago? It was all about how we being forgiven people can practice forgiveness with one another. And we talked about the five steps of that uh, with the acronym SCARS. S is for sin, C is for confession, A is for absolution, R is for restoration, and the other S is for sanctification. We're going to take one of those each of the next five weeks. You might still have the book. If you don't have the book, that's okay too. We're going to review that. Then, starting on Wednesday, February the 14th, that should be a good day to remember because that's important for you in your marriage. Okay, but it's also Ash Wednesday. It's the next important day of the church year. It's Ash Wednesday, and we're going to start on the next 40-day challenge. We've already done the red letter and the being challenge and the forgiving challenge, and the next one is the serving challenge, and it just keeps getting better and better. So we're reviewing the forgiving challenge so we know why the next one is the serving challenge. That starts on Ash Wednesday goes through the whole season of Lent. Easter is March 31st. It's the next day that we can do a friends and family day, and I hope it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. Because for the next couple of months, we're going to focus on the work of God to us and among us and with us that gives us comfort in all these ways in this new year. And I hope and I pray and I know that the peace of God that passes all our understanding will keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This episode of the Route 42 podcast was recorded live during a worship service at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Lodi, Ohio on January 7, 2024. You can find out more about us and sign up for our email list at our website www.christthekinglodi.org Check out the show notes for details. God bless you and thank you for listening.